right. Well, uh, and of course, the face of movie going is going to change for a while as well. We're already seeing. Um, really surprised that movie theaters are not closed yet. Right. Um, I mean, AMC's fifty percent capacity thing is right. Kind of That's like a two weeks ago precaution. Yeah. yeah. Right now, it doesn't seem like they should have that at all. <coughs> nope. Don't read into that. <laughs> already uh, did. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, seasonal phlegm and things, mm, allergies type SP. things. Yeah. So uh, that's all that was. Uh, but yeah, so I went to see, we, you know, we talked, we messaged on Thursday. I was going to see the hunt and I was like, it's not worth leaving the house and going to Paramus for the hunt. And I was correct, but uh, it was a little scary. I decided to go through with it because I thought it would be worth the discussion. And it's been enough days that I don't think I contracted COVID-19 while I was in that theater, but there was a coughing guy. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about the movies momentarily. Um, but I do, I dig this thing of the early streaming. I like that I can right. rent Emma this coming weekend and show it to Shireen. Yeah, I like that too. This is, I mean, after one of the best film years in a real long time, I wonder if 2020 is going to be one of the worst. Yeah. Frankly. Um, first, because of the terrible movies that I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but that's not to be, large, so. yeah, that's not so surprising for this for this much of the year. But I mean, of course, why in the world would you release Quiet Place 2 right now and lose right. that box office? And who wants to watch a dystopia? Right. Yeah. No, it is crazy how it's just forcing us to kind of examine every little aspect of life, communal life, family life. When we want to, th- yeah, we want to think we're so self possessed, myself included. You realize that you really do depend on other people and other entities for this daily confidence you feel in your own independence. Yeah. You're just like, what do monkeys everybody, do? They just everybody hang out. Everybody knows what it's, yeah, right. That's what I'm doing everybody right knows now. what it's like to get sick and then be like, okay, uh, in, my, in my little world that nobody else cares about, I'm feeling better and now I can venture outside and the world right. is mine again. But the idea that we need to wait as hopefully continuing to be healthy people for the okay to go to, you know, a restaurant or a movie or a party like that's a very strange the feeling like that just not right. doesn't happen in american life we do not like that feeling uh but here we are and there's still movies to talk about and our podcast is fortunate because there's always movies to revisit and we have always done distance always right. yes that's right this is a socially distant right podcast uh really yeah i mean my two uh the only two homies I have are you and Mark Warner. He's in Buffalo. You're in Seattle. So not much changes for me socially. <laughs> the same. Uh, yeah. All the same. So the movies. Um, I saw two theatrical movies and streamed one film in the last week since our last show. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a, a big holds up title to talk about. So how many movies did you manage to see? So I saw two. I saw Greed and the Hunt. Uh, okay. What did you see? I saw The Hunt as well, and I uh-huh. <laughs> there's always one movie that gets shuffled to the back of my memory, and of course I just checked Letterboxd, and it's The Way Back, <laughs> a movie that almost doesn't exist. Um, that was what I saw. Uh, it's not bad. It's just very, very forgettable. Uh, so theatrically, do we start where we, the title we both saw, or do we start with our little side adventure? Side ones. All right. 
Uh, let me talk about the way back. I'm always putting you on the spot for the first title. I'm going to grab this one. Here we go. Well done. <laughs> ben Affleck continues his uh, drunken middle-aged loser uh, <laughs> era period of his career with the way back, a combination uh, drunk redemption sports uh, underdog movie. There is a third element to it that is not part of the uh, marketing. It's, uh, it's kind of a surprise it's even more depressing than the other two um but so it's kind of a hybrid movie it is a drama uh capital d trademark symbol and um ben affleck plays a wayward fellow who is estranged from his wife he uh is a construction worker he works all day and then drinks all night and then works all day and then drinks all night and he is invited back to the Catholic school where he attended and was a basketball star and invited to coach the uh, very underperforming basketball team. And uh, he has no desire to do so, but events transpire. So he finally decides to give it a shot and it proves, you know, to be a challenge. It proves to be a weird combination of this drunk uh, guy and these kids, but it also ends up being uh, a source of inspiration and hope and redemption for various characters. It's a very competent but generic uh, alcoholic finds his way back kind of a movie. And I felt like it, the, the very like the second or third shot of the movie in the beginning is Ben Affleck drinking a beer in the shower. So you're just like, okay, here we are. This is it. Uh, without a whole lot of exposition or background and about halfway through the movie you get a burst of exposition that gives fills in backstory tells you why he is where he is and gives i thought gives the movie some weight and grounding that it needed i don't know that it was enough to make the whole thing worthwhile it does what it says on the box if you see the trailer and it looks like the kind of thing you could make it through or even enjoy it'll be fine but uh an extremely forgettable two and a half stars yeah, I told you it looked painfully heterosexual to me. <laughs> yes. And yeah. I don't know what I mean by that entirely, but I do know what I mean by that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a man, it's a manly hetero man finding his way back and he does all the thing, he curses and drinks and spits and does all the stuff you do when you're, that's how you react to the pain of your life. And then sports is the way that he claws his way back into the light. So I, I think you're right. Hard, hard for me to relate to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that uh, Al Madrigal of The Daily Show is, uh, is a supporting player. He's the assistant coach who's like a math teacher. And it's not a, a revelation of a performance or anything, but it, he's he's good and it's nice to see him. And he gives it a little bit of personality and flavor that the movie would otherwise be lacking. The kids are interesting. That's another complaint I think I have is that you don't you get to know two kids on the team uh, in kind of very trite side stories you know, about their struggles at home and how the team helps them. And they're a little bit underwritten. And then the rest of them are all just smack talking kids, like cool basketball kids. So I, I think they could have stood to to do more with the kids and with his his relationship with the kids. Yeah, that's probably all that anybody needs to say about the way back. 2020 drama sports film. Right. 2020 drama sports. <laughs> so, I... <laughs> uh, Dan, tell me about greed. All right. Let's talk about Greed is sure. actually a 2019, I'm reading, British Ooh. satirical film okay. written and directed by everyone's favorite, Michael Winterbottom. 
And it stars Steve Coogan and Isla Fisher. And, oh, boy. Good cast. Interesting director. Yes. It kept my attention throughout. I'll say that. This movie is a preach fest, basically a documentary done with a fictional overlay. It ends in a PowerPoint presentation with a lot of figures about the injustice of the fashion industry. And that stuff was pretty damning. I was looking at that and thinking of a few places I probably shouldn't shop again because of the way um, workers are mistreated and underpaid and the way the fashion industry takes all of this money and how celebrities are able to create brands for themselves on other people's pain. And so that's what this movie seeks to unmask. However, it is not funny to watch people who have more power just abusing people with less power for an hour and a half, which Mm -hmm. is basically all that happens is that all the jokes are people getting abused. And so that's not funny. You just don't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But ostensibly, here's the plot. This um, mogul is ha- played by Steve Coogan is playing, uh, is having a 60th birthday party. And he's on Mykonos and he is having constructed for himself a piece of an amphitheater. There is a live lion being held and there's going to be a gladiator-like show as the culmination of his birthday celebration Everything is lavish. Meanwhile, he doesn't like that overlooking where he's uh, having this party, Syrian refugees have camped out on the beach because they have nowhere else to go. And so he's trying to get rid of the Syrian refugees. In the end, um, he tricks them into coming and portraying the slaves at his party, and they're compelled to do this. Meanwhile, there are people who are his employees who have to be slaves at the party as well. And so that's kind of like the the uh, ending of the great divide between the people who are, you know, Syrian refugees with nothing and people who otherwise would consider themselves middle-class people. They're all slaves in the end, serving this jerk on his birthday. And things don't go well for him. I was kind of appalled by what actually does happen because it's so cruel. Um, though, then when they really heavy handedly explained the metaphor, I was just like, oh, yeah, I guess that is right. So it's something that works by way of comparison, but it doesn't work in the narrative hmm. um, as far as the actions concerned. But it was so jarring and jolting and offensive that I that the movie had lost me before I kind of ended up agreeing with their logic. Does it? Uh, is it looking to occupy like uh, the big short kind of territory? Nope. It's about something, but it's not. not. No, I I feel like big short was smart and it took something that was incredibly complicated and tried to explain it for real people. Um, And the characters that they portrayed, if they were not real, they were types of real people involved in the situation. Right. Uh, Nothing like that in this. And here's something that I found particularly uh, both interesting and offensive was that the main refugee, kind of the spokesman who uh, it leads all the other refugees around and tells them what to do. In the credits, we find 
he is an actual Syrian refugee living on the beach at Mykonos with nothing who was brought into this film. And so I'm like, how have you not done to him exactly what you're criticizing the character in the movie of also doing to this same man? Bringing him in to star in your film? That's not a great look. Yeah. So with all of this said, it's totally worth a stream to mm-hmm. as a curiosity. Yeah. I really love Steve Coogan. I'm a big fan of, of his. I always enjoy what he does. Well, you're about to have one disappointment in his <laughs> okay. filmography. Um, you won't like what he does in this. All right. Um, but it's a completely competent movie and not a bad way to spend 90 minutes. I learned some stuff. Mm-hmm. And probably was entertained even at the at the swing and a miss. Yeah. But what a mess. Agreed. Well, uh, continue to not go to the movies. And when you do, don't see Greed. That's what, that's <laughs> It'll be gone. The holds up recommendation. What about The Hunt? We saw The Hunt. The controversial, delayed for many months because America wasn't ready. Because the president tweeted about it with sight unseen, calling it depraved or whatever. And uh, now it's here. Somewhat ironically, if he would have just watched it, I think he would have seen that it was sympathetic to his yeah. people. Yes, for sure. I think ultimately it's kind of a, of, a, of a wash. It's kind of a neutered type of a political satire. And if anything, it's, its protagonists and the most sympathetic characters in it are the hunted deplorable types, the MAGA types. So anyway, The Hunt is a, it's an action horror thriller. I think satire has got to be in there, uh, at least an attempt at satire. And it's directed by Craig Zobel, who uh, I've never seen any of his films, but he made a movie called Compliance, which I hear is uh, a very difficult watch, but an excellent movie. And that's on my list to check out soon. And written by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof, who've written a lot of TV, including the HBO Watchmen and The Leftovers. And of course, Lindelof has quite a, uh, resume of interesting, cool movies where the writing was the problem. Um, it stars Hilary Swank, Ike Barinholtz, Wayne Duvall, Ethan Suplee, Emma Roberts, uh, and of course, Betty Gilpin, um, who kind of emerges as the protagonist. It is a movie wherein a group of uh, kind of salt-of-the-earth American people wake up in a field they're bound and gagged and they find a crate full of weapons and they suddenly realize that they are being hunted. And what is happening is they've been taken to the manor and they're being hunted by globalist liberal elites. And this was a conspiracy theory that uh, was held by some of specifically by the people who are in the, the group being hunted, which has through some convoluted plot uh, gone from being strictly a QAnon style conspiracy theory to being an actual event and then uh it's supposed to be a big reveal and a surprise and a lot of people are talking about it like you know keep it to yourself but uh hillary swank is in the marketing and she it's clear from the trailer that she's the one coordinating the hunt i mean it's not they have not kept that a secret at all so um she turns out to be the one pulling the strings and arranging all this and uh yeah i've said this a lot about blumhouse movies but um as a genre exercise and as a movie that you watch sitting in the theater, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then it does not hold up very well to examination after the fact of more to say about it. But Dan, what did you think about the hunt? Yeah, I can agree with that. I 
I enjoyed it on the whole. I would more recommend it than not. I was put off by the violence and the brutality in the beginning because I think it was mishandled. This is supposed to be silly in a lot of ways. And so by the time I got my mind around that and trying to think more on the lines of, you know, Tarantino overdone yes. violence, then you can stomach it a little bit better. I It was already so short. If I thought about what might be cut, I would cut the whole opening sequence, the whole thing with that opening text, cut the thing on the plane, yeah, just yeah, open yeah. with the crowd waking up in the field. Just start Absolutely. there. And then you're off instead of, and I thought they did a really good job of not really knowing who you're supposed to follow because characters are in and out in the beginning. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I love Betty Gilpin in most anything I've seen her do and she didn't disappoint. Yeah. I loved her characterization here. Um, I thought it was sympathetic to the people on the right. I, it's not like I was offended by their take on the people on the left. I could sort of laugh at it a little bit at the, overly woke fake virtue signaling culture but it really wasn't that funny or that revealing um no. the only insight i felt it really tried to offer was the insight that because people believed the conspiracy theories they became true whether or not they were that was the only right. sort of insight that i saw the movie give the closing moments between uh swank and gilpin didn't make any sense to me their yeah. their fight was well choreographed. I thought that was fun. Again, I'm thinking just of uh, Uma Thurman and uh, what's her name, um, Daryl Hannah, in the mm -hmm. second Kill Bill, kind of the drag out fight down the corridor. Um, but what they said in the in their closing moments of their exchange didn't make any sense to me. I didn't I didn't understand what this movie's trying to say at all. So as satire, yeah. I think it's a failure as a a movie that's an enjoyable watch and had a few laughs um I, i'd give it three stars yeah i really feel like it, it but i i i i take it to task a little more because it sells itself as the movie everyone's talking about and uh you know don't you dare talk about it till you've seen it and it that's it, ridiculous in effect it's it's promising to have something big and juicy to say and ultimately it's like so many movies that try to take on uh, politics in a kind of a uh, come all kind of a way, it just ends up being an exercise in both sides. And, you know, I'm all down for taking people that typically get stereotyped and making them a little fleshed out. Some of the right wing characters are, you know, idiots and, and cartoon characters, and there's not really people exactly like that. Uh, and then other ones are more dimensional. There's questions about, one in particular, a prominent one, we don't really get to know this character's actual uh, background, politically anyway. Uh, but then, yeah, when it comes to the liberal elites, to me that felt like absolutely that's uh, deserving of skewering, but I didn't think it really landed in, or had anything to say because I'm not sure that overly woke liberal hypocrites are the same thing as super wealthy globalist elites. Right. I feel like those are two different types of cartoons, you know, that were being crammed together. Uh, and again, it's a movie that's trying to take the zeitgeist stuff and put it all up on the screen. I get it. It's it's fine. I just didn't feel like I guess I felt like none of these people felt like they represented actual ideas. They uh, it was just kind of a, an exercise with where discourse is. And that's fair. But 
I would have liked it to land on something and and say something a little more than it did. Yeah, the people who are hunting are casually planning a series of murders. Right, right. That's pretty grim. Why they feel like they're entitled to do that? I, I mean, they're they're lunatics, right, and sociopaths. Who are these people? Right, and it yeah, it really is a big leap from. Can you believe these people criticizing me and saying these awful things about me on a forum to I'll show them by actually murdering them? I mean, for you know, for anybody right. driven by any kind of ideology, that is a huge leap. Right. And why have them gagged? Why give them guns? Why what is this game that you're playing? Yeah. I don't get it. And then having the sweet old those sweet old liberal couple posing as, you know, people running a gas station they're going to get hurt. Like I don't see them putting themselves in that situation in in real life. Those kinds of people, those are the, you know, these are the kind of people who go to the mainline church that I attend. Right. Like, um, (laughs) it's bizarre. Right. And there, what was with the whole military camp? Was that a setup or was that a real camp? I didn't. Right. And the movie's constantly dropping little hints that this little thing is or isn't part of it. You know, but yeah, it's confusing that they are in, where are they? They're in Croatia or. Right. And and then there's a group of, of, of uh, refugees and they might be crisis actors, but one of them definitely is, but the other ones aren't. It's extremely, and I get that they're trying to keep you guessing, but that's not helpful to the satire, I don't think. No, that part was confusing because even if you had gotten this compound, let's say, um, adjacent to a refugee camp. But what have you spoken with the leadership of the camp and said, this is a, this huge ruse and here's some money. Can we use your camp as part of our yeah. elaborate right. setup? Right. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, I have heard people comparing this to ready or not. And specifically comparing Please. Uh, Betty Gilpin to Samra weaving from that movie. But I think the difference is, uh, that was a much better movie, I think, yes. overall, and it had something to say. And also, Summer Weaving was uh, new. She was a new face, and it was right. kind of a revelation. I've known who Betty Gilpin was for a while, and so uh, I think in terms of her being the strongest element of the movie and being a joy to watch, maybe that that far, yeah. Yes, but the uh, there's too much going on in this movie. In Ready or Not, that was uh, more just about social socioeconomic divides. Yes. And this, you know, takes it to another country. There's right. the right and left yeah. of the American fabric right now. There has to do with wealth. It's just, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, fun to watch. I think I agree with you about the violence. Uh, I think it needed to be violent. But right. uh, yeah. apparently some people have trouble even figuring out that it is satirical because the violence is so gory. Um, I think that's supposed to be part of the fun, right. but I, it should have maybe been a little more stylized to tip right. its hat that this is not, you know, supposed to be. Yeah, it was, it was mishandled. Some of it, it was just too realistic in parts, especially from the beginning Yeah, that I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, all right, Dan. Um, well, we certainly discussed the heck out of those movies. And I think we got one more. Why don't we take a little break and then we will talk about Road to Perdition. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, welcome back. Dan, we watched Road to Perdition. We're keeping it in the Mendes zone. It was your suggestion that we watch this next. So why don't you walk us through Road to Perdition? Sure. Um, Road to Perdition. It's a 2002 American crime film directed by Sam Mendes. He would have uh, been coming off uh, American Beauty like two years earlier. So this, to me, was kind of like his his relaunch, his uh, free his golden ticket post Oscar. Um, it's based on a graphic novel of the same name by Max Allen Collins and illustrated by Richard Pierce Rayner. And it stars Tom Hanks, who is unfortunately relevant again this week um, as Michael Sullivan, who is a mob enforcer during the great depression and his son, Michael jr. Played by Tyler Hecklin um, stows away in his car one night and watches his dad perform a hit. And this freaks out mob boss Paul Newman, who is a fatherly figure to this family. And uh, Daniel Craig is a mob deputy who kills Hanks's wife and one of his sons, um, causing both Michaels, senior and junior, to go on the run. They are being pursued by Jude Law, who is a shady photographer of dead people. And um, yeah, one of those, one of those. <laughs> I guess that was the thing. It seems right in the in the 1920s, 1930s era, right? That uh, oh, all these murders take place and we've right. got to and like that would be in the newspaper, like a picture of the corpse. You know, right. Right. never do that now. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> And uh, Jennifer Jason Lee plays uh, Hanks's wife. I should have mentioned that before. Annie Stanley Tucci is a part of the proceedings. Um, and we just watched this trip where um, Michael Sr. and Michael Jr. are on a literal road to perdition trying to get to um, the now deceased wife's sister's house where they feel they can be safe, perhaps. And... Uh, like American Beauty, it seems like things are going to be okay until they're not, but then kind of okay in a different way. And yeah, I know I saw this in 2002. I would have been first in line because I loved American Beauty. And I don't really remember much of it, which doesn't really surprise me now after a rewatch, if I'm honest. Um, did you see this at the time? Yes, I did. I saw this in uh movie theaters and i also already owned it on blu-ray so i watched my own copy of it for uh to prepare for this discussion i loved it when i initially saw it i thought it was just a really nice piece of filmmaking about cool things and cool shots and cool actors and an interesting story uh and i remember feeling similarly upon revisiting it this time i have uh as usual lots of complicated thoughts overall positive but I do have some, I have like three, two or three big takes about this movie uh, that I don't want to jump the gun. But um, yeah, in general, I think this is one of Mendes' more memorable and interesting experiments. It's, you know, a gangster movie, uh, period, but also based on a graphic novel, which I think is a very stylized uh, piece of work. And then couching inside of it, really, it's a story about a father and a son and about, you know, a, a, an unlikely uh relationship forming 
in spite of and throughout some very, very dark and trying circumstances. I think that's probably what's most successful about it. Yeah, I agree. I found the beginning to be really boring. I felt like it was just taking its sweet time getting anywhere. And I was thinking, how is this movie like a thing at the time? This is such a drag. And then it took off for me once they were off on their journey. That's where I started yeah, to like yeah. it. Um, the beginning, I was just like, oh, this is just like mafia movie. Just yeah. throw it in the dryer and it just turns right. around and around right. and around. And the yeah, that opening hour at 45, whatever it is, the first half of the movie before they're on the road and and especially the world building and the setting up it feels like it's based on a graphic novel. This That's movie true. feels like it's based on storyboards that are taken right out of a graphic novel because it's very beautifully shot, the nice, you know, the very deep blacks and then punctuated by things like rain or white dress shirts or whatever. It's very sharply photographed by Conrad Hall, the great uh cinematographer, won an Oscar for this film before passing away. But it does feel it kind of feels by the numbers and they're weird numbers. I don't know that this is I guess my I'll hint at my big take is that this is not very successful as a gangster movie. No. That's okay because I think ultimately it's not really a gangster movie. It just has those trappings. But when it's setting up the world and explaining to you who's who and how the families work and how the business works and all that, it's not as in, it's not like a Scorsese movie where you feel like you're being inducted into this world and you get it and you love it and then it all falls apart. It's very cold. I think this is a, a little bit superficial actually. Um and then it go, it starts to go somewhere when it has a little more human emotion in the relationships. And, you know, frankly, I would rather have a movie where the the trappings are a little questionable and then the heart is there. Then the, it's usually the other way around where right. you have a lot of, you know, style and a lot of interesting setup. And then it's kind of missing the uh, the central stuff, the heart. Yeah, I think that this is beautifully shot um, that Conrad Hall can shoot rain like nobody else. Yeah. I love his work. I mean, visually, it's just a stunning movie. I, I like it a lot for that reason. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I think of the ending. It wasn't up to them because, hey, it's based on this graphic novel. I'm not sure that I like that the kid went back to the farm and lost his whole family. And when everything seemed like it was okay, Jude Law, to me, just came out back out of nowhere. His character right, right. was pretty much done. <laughs> And he's yeah. a psycho and, you know, well, that's not, so this is not my biggest hot take. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll set that one aside for a moment. But one of my side takes is that the Jude law character, and this is our second movie in recent weeks of just creeper Jude law, just right. weirding up a movie. He's probably appeared uh, in more of our movies than anybody else. That's true. Yeah. You do some reflection yeah. about why we, why we're so drawn to Jude law. You're listening to law talk, right? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The law blog. I'm not really talking performance here. I guess that's another discussion to be had. Just the character doesn't make sense to me. Not, you know, I, I guess, right. yeah, you're right. Creepy, creepy death photographer is probably a thing somewhere in the weird history of, of media and whatever. But I mean, why does the mafia, when one of their own goes rogue and they need to take him out, why do they hire a creepy assassin? Right. They are mobsters. Right. That's what they do. Surely. Yeah. Surely there's some equivalent to Michael Sullivan, somebody who would have been his buddy or, you know, his equivalent, his his uh, compatriot who now would have to come after him 
and wouldn't that be more compelling? I understand the draw to have a psycho in your movie, and this is really around the time when you want an interesting psycho, and you can see Law going for it by making himself unattractive and being creepy and you know all the mannerisms. This is that time when you want that character in your movie. But I, story-wise, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, this is a side note. When I was watching it, I you know just searched the movie and the cast um, thumbnails, you know, come up, and like right at the top, there's like this beautiful man, and I'm like, oh, when's he going to be in the movie? Oh, it's the kid, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, right, right. He yeah. he he grew up and to be incredibly handsome, and I yeah, I know, I'm not aware of him. Page, yes. Yeah, yeah, I was like, geez, where, where's he been? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, can I just? I think I'm ready to just drop my other my big take on the movie and this is this is probably this is a discussion that has been had i'm not treading new territory but uh this many years later i'm ready to say that tom hanks is not the right person for this role oh of course not he's to me woefully miscast good yeah okay so we agree he's good he's doing his best with this material he cannot do a bad performance but he has this character has got to be stoic and scary and unavailable so that when he's on the road and they start to form a bond, you break through and you see the humanity and it's it would be so much more effective. In this version, I'm like, oh, Tom Hanks is acting weird. Oh, okay, right. there's Tom Hanks. When he starts to act warm, you're like, there he is. Right. Absolutely it, it goes against right. the movie's purposes. Absolutely right. He can't play a character like this because it's just not in his nature. It doesn't matter. It's not fair, but it's just the truth. Right. It doesn't matter what kind of good craft he brings to it, and he always brings good craft. He gave the best performance Tom Hanks can give in this role. Right. Yeah. But uh, it needed yeah. to be somebody with uh, with more menace and who was able to be cold and scary. I thought it was almost uninteresting when Michael Jr. Um, sees him take a gun out of his pocket, you know, in that opening scene mm-hmm. where he doesn't know he's being watched by his son to realize that his dad has a gun that, to yeah. me that should have had some impact but it didn't right right and w- when i just think about the text of the movie the story it is very compelling to think of a gangster being cold to his son who he re- loves because he doesn't want to pass on mm-hmm. you know himself because he do- he wants to save the kid that's very compelling, and I think this movie gets close to that, but I guess they couldn't resist casting Hanks against type and, and the prestige of having him attached to the movie. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody who would be good. Uh, there's I lots know, of actors from who that could. era, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, like, Russell Crowe could have done it. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, but while we're talking about casting, this is my other, this is my other take. I'm going to spend all my takes. Daniel Craig's not good in this movie. You know, I was so distracted that Daniel Craig was even there because yeah. I was just like, wait, he was a thing. And then I'm like looking when Casino Royale came out, which is probably my first awareness of him mm-hmm. uh, as a celebrity. Clearly, I saw him in this movie, but he was a nobody to me at the time. Right, right. And I guess when I didn't know who he was, I thought he was just the crazy son. But there's two things going on. I think that when you bring in the Jude Law loony, suddenly the fail son psycho, he's not the big he like he kind of just disappears. And I just think his performance doesn't it doesn't imprint at all. Right. Especially the scene where Michael Jr. is watching and he kills Siren Hines. Um, 
I think that it's just something hammy about his, and maybe it's not fair because it's being shot from far away. So it feels kind of like stage acting, but I was just like, Oh, he's not really good in this. Right. That's just me. It's just a subjective thing. I love Daniel Craig. He's great. Um, right. This, I just, that's why it stood out to me that I wasn't enjoying his performance in this movie. Tucci's there. Uh, I know that there's always a kind of hierarchy implied in gang, in mob movies. I don't really understand this one. How, um, Paul Newman, who was great, by the way, maybe the strongest part, um, you know, of the movie performance wise and how he's like the big, scary Don. But then there's a guy in an office in New York. Right. He's like higher than him and he's got to go have like performance reviews with this guy. That was weird. Yeah, that does seem strange. And Newman did um, a good job on this tightrope, but him being a vicious killer alongside him having familial affection for the people he's close with that almost didn't work for me. It seemed like almost Mm -hmm. too big of a, of a contrast to hold. Um, But here we are, you know, and that's the right story. Yeah. Yeah, And I didn't quite get, I didn't quite buy him making those tough decisions, you know, sitting in that office. That, that was all very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. He should have been more agonizing. He should have had more power. It was very, yeah, it was confusing. So the ending, yeah. Uh, how do you think the movie should have ended? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the story that someone decides to tell is the story they tell. Sure. To me, it so much resembled American Beauty by mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. director that things seem to be going okay, and then out of left field, the protagonist is killed by a psycho. Right, right. You know, the same against a white wall, you know, same in a, in a pool of blood, same. Yeah, that's true. I, it actually did not occur to me when watching it, but you're right. Overall, I really um, like watching this movie. I like looking at it. There's nothing in it that makes me really like turn my nose up. Oh, of course. I guess I've tipped my hat that there's some performances that I don't love, but um, it's certainly, at least as a movie, it makes sense way more than Away We Go. Uh Oh, totally. I mean, uh, Hanks is miscast, and the first hour, hour 20 is so boring that this wouldn't be a regular return for me. I'm scanning a little bit of trivia to see if I can actually find out if anything. Um, This movie's based uh, loosely on actual events and a real enforcer for mobster John Looney, who was betrayed by him. I would not have guessed that. I would have guessed that this was completely the work of 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 a writer creating a graphic novel it really feels that way and i'm sure that the 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 kernel of truth is so tiny that you know to me this feels like somebody grabbed all of the tropes of gangster movies and of the 30s and just kind of in in typical graphic novel style just went with whatever looked cool and felt you know heightened and uh that said i do think that it's it's pretty well written the dialogue is is for the most part pretty good yeah and i do like that it has like it unfolds well especially once they get on the road. Um, I do think it's good stuff. And I guess we should mention too, uh, not only did he grow up hot, but the kid, Tyler Hoechlin, he's uh, really good, I think. Oh, yeah. he Great good performance. Good kid performance. Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked to discover as we were looking at some of those cards about the year you were born, you know, there'll be like a mm-hmm. rotating thing of those, that uh, – Haley Joel Osment and my husband were born in the same year. Oh my! <laughs> just kind of a mind wow. trip. So just yeah. like that's how old Haley Joel Osment is. 
Right. Like he'll always be a child to most of America. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen him lately? He's he looks like a He's like no Tyler Hecklin. No. <laughs> he's like a yeah, he's like a, a gamer dude. He's got yeah, a big beard I and I could imagine him getting a good supporting character role in his, you know, forties, fifties, sixties and having a big comeback year. Because he's a gifted actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it says in IMDb trivia that Jude Law hated his appearance in the film and <laughs> insisted on wearing a cap every time he wasn't on camera. And Sam Mendes insisted that Law remain paler than all his co-stars. That's a little bit... Now, this is all... The trivia on IMDb is, is nonsense, and it's usually, like, you know, misconstrued from an interview or a commentary or something. Uh, so take it with a grain of salt. I would have... It felt to me like... Uh, this was law looking for like a Brad Pitt in 12 monkeys kind of a thing. I thought he was like eating it up. Like this is my chance to not be the, you know, the sexy male lead. This is my chance to be a weirdo. Uh, that was just such a thing back then. I suppose it still is to an extent. Yeah. When you said he hated his appearance, I thought you meant like hated that he was in the film at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. That's road to perdition. Dan, you have any other observations as we, as usual, I don't you never do. Do you? Right. I do not. Thank you for <laughs> okay. asking. Okay. Right. Just wondered if you did. I don't. That'll do it for me. Um, but uh, <laughs> thank you for the recommendation. I think I am going to, we've already discussed this, but I will going to suggest that we revisit James L. Brooks' 1997 blockbuster, As Good As It Gets, for next time. Uh, you make me want to be a better podcaster. <laughs> uh, I should probably save this for that episode, but um, when Nicholson... Or yells the the order the seafood order across the restaurant yeah barks it at the guy right. and he says uh right. i'll tell your waiter right. that's become shorthand in my household for like why are you telling me this <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, yeah so i'm yeah i i love that movie i believe you do as well i'm interested though to revisit it um and see how it holds up no pun intended it's like actually why we named it that i guess so and now more than ever, it's going to apply as we watch lots of older movies. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I watched a scary movie too. <laughs> I don't think I ever sure, saw that. Sure throw that out at the end. Oh, you did watch it or you I did watch it. I did watch I watched that and Wicker Man. <laughs> oh wow. So I don't know if you want to get into our streaming or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we can maybe put a pin in those. Um I have not seen any scary movie, uh, and I did. I have seen both versions of Wicker Man. Mm. Well, I need very, to see very... the the newer version. I guess yeah. the new one is is a laugh a minute. Uh, oh, is it really catastrophe? It's oh, unbelievable. Sounds great. sounds great. Yeah, it's Neil LeBute of all people directing mm-hmm. a remake of the Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage. It's inexplicable. It's wacky. He punches a woman in a bear costume. It's an insane <laughs> romp. You're gonna love it. But the original one is like straight up creepy horror. And it's been a long time since I saw it, but it's Christopher Lee getting tortured by, uh, it's like Midsummer, right? Like, oh, it's totally like Midsummer, yeah. And I mean, I found it to be a laugh a minute. I, I just roared throughout the entire thing. I thought it was just the funniest. All right. Well, cool. Funnier than scary movie too. Oh yeah. Way funny. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you didn't watch scary movie one first. I don't know how this happened, but we, it was decided scary movie two All right. was, was what we needed in this time of uncertainty and sure. anxiety. 
Was there someone in, in already in the know who's like, oh, that's the one. You need that one. Or no. was it all sight unseen? Everybody just. No, we just decided that. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. That it would have more current references. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that logic. <laughs> and I did get a lot of the references. Yeah. I really did. I, I believe there was a three. <laughs> Wasn't there Maybe four, five, four? and six? Like, I mean, yeah. gosh. I think that's been our podcast. I think we've been Dan and Josh, and I think you can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. And I think the show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. J Rap. And the music, as always, by our buddy J Rap. <laughs> Google him up, buy some of his music. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, and everybody stay safe and stay uh, isolated. And, uh, you know, don't be. Don't be stupid and get somebody else sick just because you think you're going to live forever. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. You were sick and you believed it was COVID. Have you like... Is that official? Did you figure that out? No, I have no no way. My, My symptoms were simply consistent and... It would have been geographically. A, it makes sense. Geographically, it makes sense. It was a little bit earlier, but I mean, hey, stuff. That's how this happens. That people are sick early and don't know it. Right. Um. So yeah, when I went to the doctor, that was late February, and it was not on their radar. Like <clears throat> we had heard people talking about coronavirus and such, but they weren't screening for it. They weren't concerned about it. No one was taking extra precautions then. Um. And that has all changed. Now life is pretty much closed here. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, because of the way things have played out uh, geographically, you guys are a little ahead of us here in New York where things are just starting to reluctantly close. Well, that's great news for you. Yes. Because, yeesh, stuff that seemed like a huge overreaction like a week ago seems like uh, real, real obvious. Yeah. No. Yeah, and we've got um, the only two groups resisting at this point are like 25-year-olds who don't think they have to skip brunch and uh, <laughs> right. you know, the MAGA crowd who licking floors to own the libs. So, <laughs> uh, I hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah. <laughs>